And uh, we won't be here forever on this book. Matter of fact, next week is the last week. Okay? According to plan, next week is the last week. We're in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. It's a good thing I put extra Kleenexes in my pocket this morning. Um, this, this is three parts of chapter 22. We saw last week a final glimpse of the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Today I want to talk about a response uh, to the res- revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a handful of verses here. Verse 8 and 9, and verse number 11, and verse 14 and 15. And then next week I want to talk about the urgency of the revelation and use a handful of verses there too, all from chapter number 22. Did you get a chance to read this chapter this past week? I hope so. You had nothing else to do, right? Power out. What else can you do? There's, there's nothing else to do. But, you know, ice storms make life easier, right? Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, I, I'm not going to read the entire chapter to you today. I hope that if you take a chance, if you haven't felt, uh, you heard what I, I said, if you felt guilty about that, go ahead and read it later. Uh, but um, Revelation uh, 22, I'm going to read verse 8 and 9, then jump down to 11, and then 14 and 15. Starting with 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. The one who is righteous still practice righteousness. The one who is holy still keep himself holy. And then on to verse 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Boy, do we have something to talk about today. Heavenly Father, as we have your word opened up in front of us right now, we consider that to be a wonderful privilege just to have a copy of it. We think back some 500 years ago, and the men who actually did give their lives to translate your word into English. And we are beneficiaries of that today. We thank you, Lord, for that which was put forth, that we might have this. And we even go back further than that. The prophets and the apostles and, and all the men that you chose to record your word for us. And the things that they endured because they were just your spokesmen. And we go back to even further. We think that it was you who started this because you wanted us to know. Know who you are and know what the truth is. That we might know how to live this life and how we might come to be with you forever. 
your word is a fantastic thing. And to have a copy of it right now is such a privilege. May we make good use of our time as we study it. Not take it for granted, but enjoy and benefit from it greatly today, we pray. Just simply as we sit at your feet, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now today we're going to talk about a response to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you do know this book is fascinating. We've been on it now for 30 weeks and uh, had a few breaks along the way. Some, it's it's a great curiosity for you to know more about it. Uh, um, That's identifiable easily by the number of books that are sold on prophetic themes, the number of conferences that, well, that's been going on for years and years and years. I think 1980s was a pretty big uh, decade of Bible conferences on prophecy themes. We had a lot of that going on, and some people just want to approach this book out of curiosity. I want to know, and it always draws a crowd, I think. For others, it helps us to fill out our... uh, eschatological doctrine. We want to know how does everything come together. And I've been trying hard to emphasize that you can hold to a literal hermeneutic of interpretation and understand this book. That has been my goal, to set that before you. Because personally, I, I feel like I'm in a battle of sorts because for far too long, we have allowed the majority of commentaries with their symbolic approach to govern our understanding of this book. We have allowed that to happen. And so many are confused, and I understand that. And so many believe this book cannot be understood, that it is a mystery. And I hope that you have a better grasp on the message now that we've spent some time in it. Let's find out. Quiz time. I love quizzes, don't you? These are easy. Who was the book written to? Good, we're off to a good start. Which comes first, the millennium, the tribulation, or the rapture? The rapture. Which comes second? The tribulation. How long is the millennium? thousand years. Is Christ reign in the millennium in heaven or on earth? On earth, yes. Where will the church be during the tribulation? Yes, with him, in heaven, with Christ. Okay. How much longer will the earth last? (laughs) At least 1,007 years. Will the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem be refurbished, or will they be created new? The streets of gold, gates of pearl, no more crying or pain, describes what? Heaven or the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem. Our our answers are getting a little fainter. (laughs) This one's easy. Number 10. Who wins? (laughs) Well, we do too. Yes. That wasn't too bad, was it? That's the essence of what we've been talking through in a lot of different ways and chapters. But those are the things that I think need to be said and need to be understood. And and I've tried to help you understand the reality of these things. 
And these are the things that are actually being countered by so many other books out there, that this is not the way it really is. And I've showed you from the book itself that that is exactly the way it is. We're going to approach a handful of verses today and look at the response to these things, because there is a need to respond. There is a need to respond. And first we're going to just look at what John did. As you saw in the verses I read, verse number 8 and 9, we have John's response. You know, he is the one who was the original tour guide on this uh, because he was given the responsibility to write it down. These things for us to see, he was told to write them down. And, and John was specifically told to publish this book. Chapter 22, verse 10. We did not have that on our list, but look at this in verse 10. The Lord said to him, do not seal up the words of this of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Do not seal it up. We will talk more about urgency next week. You saw that phrase, for the time is near. But what we can say at this moment, this book was meant to be read and understood. It's not a mystery. It's not to be clouded in mysterious, uh, mysterious thought and symbolism. Um, to suggest that a church cannot understand it, as is a practice of many who do say so, actually I think it's a sin against the church. And it's disobedience to God's commands. John was told to make it known. And too many would say, no, you can't know it. Let, let's not talk about That's too mysterious. And I think that's contrary to God's command to John. Don't seal it. Don't seal it. To seal a book is to hide its message for some other time. Daniel encountered that. I could give you the opposite picture of this. In Daniel chapter 12, verse number 4. As Daniel's running to the end of his prophecies, uh, God says to him, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now, there's just a little paragraph out of a commentary I thought was useful to understand. What's the difference here? And they write this in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Understandably, Daniel and his immediate readers could not have comprehended all the details of the prophecies given in this book. Daniel even said in Daniel 12, verse 8, As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, Go your way, Daniel. For these words are concealed and sealed up for the end of time. Not until the history continues to unfold would many be able to understand these prophetic revelations. But God indicated that an increased understanding of what Daniel had written would come. People today, looking back over history, can see the significance of much of what Daniel predicted. We have an advantage on this side, looking back at what Daniel stood there looking forward, he couldn't understand. I, f I find it interesting that even well-known Bible teachers and preachers and commentary writers had a great deal of difficulty explaining the book of Revelation even 120 years ago. They didn't know what to do that. And I marked that time because toward the late 1800s, God was doing a movement in our land that's actually amazing. We're beneficiaries of it today. 
the, the effort made to interpret God's word, especially in prophecy, came to the forefront. Prior to that, very little was said about it. But after that, we have a literal, grammatical, contextual, historical approach to understanding God's word. And that makes a big difference. It's the rise of dispensationalism. And I'm not ashamed to say I, I agree with what they teach. Because when I look at it, they suddenly see how Scripture begins to unfold and they outline in systematic theology, that word that if you've been to Bible college, you said, not that class, you know, because it just sounded scary. Well, what has become available to us in the last 120 years is amazing, folks. It's absolutely amazing. Was that due to their scholarship? Maybe. Was it due to the fact that the end times is upon us? Quite likely, because God said that knowledge would increase. They didn't understand it before, but we're starting to get it. I think we're living in a very unique age. That's my opinion. But I heard these stories before, and one story I heard particularly, and I can't remember who said it or I knew it was a prominent Christian lady who wrote this or said this sometime in the last 60 or 80 years or so, and I read it once, but she said she was trying to understand something that was beyond her years when she was a little girl. Her father wisely gave her an illustration to help her. He said, when you need to take the tra- a trip on the train, doesn't your father give you the ticket as you are boarding the train? You didn't need it until then. All that to say, the people who need to hear this message need to hear it now. I think now is the time. John was told, don't seal up the book. Don't seal it up. That means people need to read it. People need to understand it. I think John was overwhelmed by the description of verse number 8 and 9. He's certainly overwhelmed, and I think I would have been, and you would have been too. Verse number 8, when I heard and saw these things, John said, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Was that his first time down there? Nope. (laughs) That is true. Chapter 19, we just saw it previously in the earlier chapter. When verse number 9 and 10 are recorded, John says, He said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And I fell at the feet to worship him. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and the brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You say, Okay, that's twice. Where's the third one? Go all the way back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, start in verse number 9. Handful of verses here, but watch these. Revelation 1, 9. I, John, your brother and follow, partaker in the tribulation and kingdom, perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write, In a book what you see and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, to Thyatira and to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, 
And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like the flame of fire, and his feet were burnished bronze, and it has been made to glow in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Who is that? Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Let me say this. It's quite appropriate for John to fall at the feet of Jesus. I wish many other people would too. Twice John was rebuked for falling at the feet of the angel who gave him the message. Remember the angel said here in chapter 22, verse 9, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours, a servant of yours and your brethren of the prophets and those who heed the word of this book. Worship God. John stood to be corrected because we are not to worship angels. God considers it a heinous thing to worship an angel. Did you know that? Scripture is full of verses about the worship of angels and God's command not to do it. There's a lot of that in the Old Testament. You start digging, you're going to be amazed at how many times this topic comes up. Don't forget, the evilest angel of them all desires worship above everything else. That's what Satan even asked Jesus to do, wasn't it? Fall down and worship me, and I'll give you everything. So, John loses his head here. <laughs> you may think, well, that's understandable. He just saw the most incredible thing. He was overwhelmed. Yes, very human. I get it. Daniel. By the way, you go back to Daniel again. After one particular vision, it says that the vision, Daniel 8, 26, 27, if you write this down, the vision of the evenings and the mornings which have been told is true, but keep the vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. When was the last time reading God's Word had any kind of an emotional impact on you? Have you ever read a passage that you just couldn't get out of your head and it struck you in the heart and maybe you wept? Or maybe you just rejoiced and you couldn't stop? How many times have you read something and it made you ill and you were sick for days? That's Daniel's words. I said, Interesting, interesting. Concerning this passage in Revelation, commentary by Ellicott goes this way. Wonder and awe took possession of the seer, and for the second time he was about to offer unlawful homage to an angel minister. This twice offered and twice refused worship is full of teaching. To render to all their due, is wise and seemly and Christ-like. To offer exaggerated homage to any is to invert God's order and to degrade by pretending to exalt man whose true glory is that he is 
God's creation. There was no rebuke when Jesus or when John fell at the feet of Jesus. Never will be. That is where worship is due, right? Have you ever noticed this in our own society? Ever notice how the leaders of worship tend to be elevated? As if somehow they deserve special consideration because of their music or their performance? Ever notice such a thing? I'm just going to let you chew on that for a few minutes. Think about that. How often in the course of worship do we start worshiping the one leading the worship rather than the one who's getting the worship? Just to wonder. But when it comes down to this, this reason, God highly exalted him. Who's him? Jesus. And gave him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This episode that you're reading here in Revelation 22, verse number 8 and 9, John's experience written in black and white. If that was about you, would you want it written down for everyone to read for the rest of eternity? I just wonder if John said, Lord, do I really have to include that? Can't I just keep... Yes, John, put it down there. Put it down. People need to see this too. Show them, John. All through these chapters. Look at it again. All through these chapters. The world set their eyes on the wrong thing. They were worshipping the beast. They were worshipping his image. They were manipulated by deception to focus on man, on man, on man, on their creation, on the world, and all these things. They were taking their eyes off of God, always looking someplace else, to think that they even control their own destiny, and God is their enemy. Put it in black and white, folks, right there in verse number 9. Worship God. That's the message that we need to proclaim too. Worship God. That's what we call an aorist active imperative. A Greek student would say, wow, that's an important one. That means right now, worship God. You're not doing it, but start right now. Worship God. It's urgent. Worship God. It's a command. And if you don't do a command, what have you done? You've disobeyed. Worship God. So as John's teaching us again, the right response to this message is simple. Worship God. And I think we need to practice that more. We need to practice that more. But we can't stop here. I wish we could stop right there and say, that's our message, let's go do it. But there's other phrases I want to look at too. We've got a lot to contemplate here. And there's two other responses to review. Verse number 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still be righteous. The one who is holy still keep himself holy. 
Does that strike you as funny? You read that and you say, what? 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 You may think, but isn't it important if, if somebody's doing wrong that we give them the gospel? Would you all agree that's important? Yeah, this isn't a trap, okay? I'm not trying to trick you. Yes, that's what we're here for. It's true. Those who do wrong and those who are filthy need the gospel. They need to know it was for them he died. Right? Even in the Old Testament, that message was clear. There were ungodly people back there. I don't know if you knew that. In the Old Testament, lots of them. Isaiah got a message. Isaiah starts to write in chapter number 1. I'm going to read it to you here. Isaiah picks up his pen. The Lord says, write this down, Isaiah. The ox knows its owner. Starting in verse 3. A donkey, its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, a sinful nation. People weighed down with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers. Sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away from Him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. There's only bruises and welts and raw wounds. And they're not even pressed out or bandaged, nor even softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in your presence. It is desolation and overthrown by as overthrown by strangers. The daughters of Zion have left the shelter of the vineyard like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts has left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Why are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Why do you come to appear before me? Who requires this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Wow! There's smoke coming out of that page. You say, yes, the Lord sees how wicked his people are. And his appeal is, come, come, come. Your need I can meet. Your need is sin. And I have the solution. 
But in chapter 6, Isaiah encounters the Lord there. You remember the scene in the temple. And in verse number 8, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And he says, Here am I, send me. How many times that was the theme of a missionary conference? Maybe you heard it too. And maybe it prompted your heart. And maybe some of you said, I'm going to go. The Lord says, who's going to go? And Send me. Send me. You say, wow, that's great. Let's finish the passage. Isaiah raised his hand. And God says, okay, go. Go and tell these people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking. But do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive. Their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Wait, is that really in the text? The Lord really said that? They weren't going to change. Isaiah, you're in for a rather rough ministry. How would you like to be know, to know that that's your ministry? Go and talk to people who will never be converted by your words. Still game for it? And Isaiah says, Lord, how long? <laughs> this is only for a week, right? A month? I can handle a month. He says, no, until cities are devastated. And without inhabitants, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away. You say, okay, this is stunning. Lord, wouldn't you rather have men turn back to you? Yes, definitely. He's not wishing or willing that any should perish. Isn't that in his word? He doesn't contradict himself. He said, but, but, but what is this? Well, Israel's representing something to us. It's real simple. Because what was true of them is still true of mankind today. They refused God's grace and His forgiveness. They would not come to Him. They rejected His word. They rejected His appeal to return. And they offered Him substitutes instead. Lord, we're just going to do these sacrifices because that's all you really want. We're going to do the rituals. That's, how you, that's all you really want. We're going to do that and then just leave us alone. Folks, God will never compromise on his word. He will never compromise on his word. Unless one comes to him in obedience to his word and places his faith solely in Jesus Christ, there is no other way to God. None. God will always be faithful to his word, and his word is true. There is no secondary means. There is no alternatives. And I don't really care what the world thinks of this in our society right now. They could call us all kinds of names they want for the fact that we teach that the beliefs of the Muslim or the Hindu or the ancient Indian animistic practices will never bring a man to Christ. And I also believe that the compromised doctrines that are being propagated in our modern church today, if it's not God and it's not His Word, they have offered a substitute. 
It's not us who they have an issue with. (laughs) It's God's truth. Not everyone's going to appreciate the message of the book of Revelation. Just so you understand that. There is a foreverness to those words I read to you in verse number 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. We live at a time when the world can respond, if it should. It can believe, and it can be changed by the power of Christ. Mankind can believe. Mankind can become righteous and holy in God's eyes through Jesus Christ. I know it can be done because it happened to me, and it happened to you. But mark this. When a man leaves this world... What is his relationship with the Lord is sealed and remains that way. It will never change. That's incredible to think about. Because there are no second chances in eternity. There are no second chances. That's frightful. But it's necessary to understand. There's an urgency here, and I know I want to talk about that next week. But the fields today, folks, are ripe for harvest. And this is the only harvest we get. Because once they leave this earth, if they are wrong, they stay wrong. If they are filthy, they stay filthy. There are no changes. No changes. No changes. You see it? He's talking about eternity in chapter 22. And as a man enters eternity, that's how he stays. There are doctrines being propagated today. It says that no, God will change everything. After eternity starts, he's going to redeem everybody. All those who have gone to, he's going to redeem them. He's even going to redeem Satan. That's being taught. That's not what God's Word says. Matter of fact, there's one more thing. Just to reiterate this whole message, look at verse 14 and 15. One more passage to look at here. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter by the gates of the city, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers, the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. There will no be no mingling of the righteous with the unrighteous. None. Listen to that stunning word. Outside. Outside. Not just outside like peeking through the window outside. We're talking outside like the in the lake of fire outside. They are separated from the rest. Away from the presence of the Lord outside. Eternally separated from God and all the wonders of eternal life spent with Him outside. They are outside. And folks, don't be outside. Don't be outside. Once again... While there's opportunity, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, now is the time to call on Him. Now is the time. Romans chapter 10. The words are simple. The Word is near you. 
It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe. I don't like maybes. I love this. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call upon him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's now. That's now. Because if you do not respond to the message of the gospel, you set yourself in eternity in a place where it never changes. And it's always outside always always who here today or maybe listening on our internet program needs to hear this who needs to believe this today I I don't just take that for granted just because we've all heard the word for all these years that we've actually responded I want to make sure that you understand so that you can respond. There is a proper response to hearing the message of the book of Revelation. There is a proper thing to do. First of all, we said, worship only belongs to God. Only belongs to God. Second, how a man responds to the truth will determine his forever condition. Whether he believes the truth and receives the message of Christ, or whether he doesn't believe and enters into a Christless eternity. I don't want anyone here, here, upstairs, on that internet, to be one of those who are outside, who are separated from Christ. I don't want that. I don't think you do either. I just ask you this morning to check your own response today. There are those in our world, and too many of them, who have heard the message of the truth and turned away from it. They've grabbed onto every substitute they could think of. But there is no substitute for Christ. There's none. If you find today that you're without Jesus, call on him right now. Call on him right now. That's what he said to do. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you want somebody to pray with you, we'd love to. We would love to. We want you to know Jesus. Next week. You think this is heavy. Wait till next week. I talk about urgency. You might have got a feel for it. This is a powerful passage. Revelation 22, we get to past the view of the new heaven and new earth, new Jerusalem. Everybody says, okay, message is over. That's a happy place. Can't wait to be there. But the rest of the chapter is, all right, now where are you in regards to this message? Where are you in your relationship with Christ? That's what it comes back to. And I love that. Because why else is it given to the church? You said, but the church is made up of believers. Absolutely. It's made up of believers. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is what we long for, isn't it? And who knows it better on this planet than the church? 
or so we should. And if we know that's all true, and if we know that Christ is the only answer, what are we to do? What are we to do? Take it to the people that need to hear it. They have a response too. They have a response too. We were prayed that that message, we hit that spot where the Lord is working in their heart, where the Holy Spirit's drawing them to the Father, and they come to know Jesus as Savior. Wouldn't it be worth it all to see another, another believer in Christ? I've got a sermon next week. We're going to have fun. The urgency of the message. Lord, press it upon us even now how urgent this is. Far too often we just read it for curiosity. We read it for winning Bible trivia contests or some other uh, merit system in our own minds. Sometimes we take a little pride with uh, our understanding and say, we know and they don't know and, and sort of pat ourselves on the back. But Lord, we do know something here. We know something vital here. That is the value of knowing Christ as Savior and the difference that's made in our lives. We rejoice that you have died for us, Lord. That you suffered on our behalf. That you literally died on our behalf. That we might be in you and you in us. That we might be for you. What a difference you've made in our lives. And we rejoice as we reach the end of a book. We say, this is fantastic. We love the ending. We love what's coming. Yet, Lord, don't let our eyes close to the harvest that's around us. The people that need to see us. For these things can begin even this afternoon. With the rapture of the church. We would love it. We would love it. But it could begin now. How many people we know need to hear? We're not responsible for the response, Lord, but we are responsible for the word. The proclamation of the word. Even if they don't respond, Lord, here am I, send me. And I hope there's many others who would say still, here am I, send me. Impress upon us that this message needs a response. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.